Well, so good to have you here on this this day that we celebrate the rising of our sacrificed, crucified Savior. Glory be to God. You can turn over in your Bibles if you would. We're going to be over in in uh, John's Gospel. We're going to be looking at chapter 19 and getting ready for what we're doing here. We're kind of I'm just kind of set in that we're going to be on Peacemaker for a little bit. You all have asked me some questions on it and it's pushed into the study here. We were planning on this for about two weeks on peace and that kind of moved into the Peacemakers. And um, uh, the, what I was going to get into today, I really enjoyed, but it just wasn't... Um, we're, we're going to get into this one here today. We're looking at another Peacemaker. And last week we were looking at Isaac that many considered to be a Peacemaker, but he was more of one who would appease. His father, Abraham, was actually the peacemaker, and we spent some time taking a look at those things, what the difference of it was, and we saw that you have you achieve peace through strength, but not only the possession of strength, you must also be willing to use it. And not only must you be willing to use it, the enemy must know that you will. If those things are not present, it doesn't matter how much strength you have, you won't have peace. Peace is only achieved, and we saw a number of places in the Word. We'll show you some more places where this has happened, but we gave you a number of accounts in the Word of God where peace is only achieved because either God was stronger or God made His people stronger than the forces that came against them. And we gave you a, a dozen examples in Scripture last week where that was the case. And, of course, the, the big case, of course, Moses. How did Egypt come in line with what God wanted to do? That they just decide, hey, you know what? We like Israel. No, God showed himself stronger than they were. And they had no more strength left. And they drove them out as God said that they would. In so many other places in Scripture, this is where it is. But here's the question we left you with. Can I, as a Christian, maintain Christian principles while still exhibiting strength? Is it possible? How can we do that? Because a lot of times we think about this, and if I'm not appeasing people, then I feel like I'm taking things for myself. I'm putting myself before others. I'm not leaving a good testimony. And yet one of the ones who gave the greatest testimony in the Old Testament was Abraham. In fact, that was part of his purpose, was to testify to the world how great his God was. And apparently there was no one stronger. He took on five kings and defeated them. He had great riches and no one would touch him. And when he died is when people started to come after this Isaac stuff. But when we try to be a peacemaker through our flesh nature, and that's how a lot of Christians end up trying to do it, we will fail, but feel like we did something. When we're a peacemaker through our reborn spirit, we will accomplish what God expects, though maybe not what he wants even if we say nothing. Do you know that God does not always expect what he wants? God does not always expect the things that he desires. I'll give you some examples. I don't expect you to just take my word for it. I'll give you some examples. You remember the words that he gave to the prophets? Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, go speak to my people and tell them this. They won't listen to you. But tell them. Tell them if they will repent, 
I will heal their land. Tell them that they will do, I will do this. Tell them that. They won't listen. But tell them. See, what God wants is for them to repent. What God expects is they won't. There's a lot of places in the Word of God where it's like that. When Jesus came to the world, did he expect them to receive him? No. He didn't expect it. He was, did he want them to? Oh, yeah, he did. He sure did. Does God want the world to be saved? Does God expect the world to be saved? Uh-uh. Want me to go on? When Jesus went into Capernaum, did he go into Capernaum wanting to heal people? When he saw their attitude and their lack of faith, did he expect to? God desires many things, wants things, but he knows it's not going to happen. He doesn't expect it. When we go to make peace... We can accomplish what God expects, but we may not accomplish what he wants. Now, see, the enemy will use this on you for failure. He's going to try and tell you, you didn't do what the word of God says he wants. Therefore, you failed. Uh-uh. No, you did not. You did what God asked. This is what God wants, but I expect this is what they're going to do. But that's all right. You did exactly what I needed. When he gave that word to, his, to um, Ezekiel and he called him into the ministry and he said, look, you say what I say. You're not responsible that they respond. You are responsible to say what I say. But if you don't say what I say to you, then you are responsible. All I desire from you is to speak the words that I give you. It's up to them to receive it. But see, the enemy confuses us on that and if we don't get what we think God wants I feel like I've failed let me ask you this question if you know your Old Testament you might be able to answer this off the top of your head how many converts did Jeremiah have was he a successful prophet sure was he's got one of the longest prophetic books out there Oh, God kept giving him words. And yet, we don't really have a record of anyone who responded to him. Now, take a look at Jonah. Did, was Jonah a successful prophet? Jonah was, wasn't he? The, the city repented. <laughs> Would you consider that a win for Jonah? No, Jonah's attitude was terrible. <laughs> terrible attitude. Don't let the enemy pull you into judging what you do for God by his standards. You're called by God and God is the one who judges what you do. If you do what God says to do, don't compare it to what anybody else did. Don't compare it to how people received it. In John chapter 19, we're going to take a look at a heathen peacemaker. There are those things. There are heathen peacemakers. There are people who do not believe in God and try and bring peace. If you want history on this, 
Go take a look at the last 20, 30 years and take a look at all the people that were involved in trying to bring peace to the Middle East. How many of them were born again? <laughs> not many of them, were they? How much success did they have? Yeah, not a whole lot. In John chapter 19, verse 1, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Now, we're actually looking at two people here. Since we're on Resurrection Sunday weekend, this is always a good story to look at. And um, I see this theme going through it, so I figured we'd spend some, some time on it. Can you say with just about absolute certainty that Jesus is in a hostile work environment? <laughs> How many would describe your work environment as hostile as Jesus is right now? <laughs> Jesus has been in a hostile work environment, but it has now just escalated. Now, if you think about your hostile work environments that you have, compare it to what Jesus just went through. And Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Anybody been scourged at work? Has not gone that far? Okay. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Anybody had a twisted crown of thorns put on their head at work? And they put on him a purple robe. This is after they scourged him. If you've heard the crucifixion described, they scourged him. His back is wide open with wounds. They put a purple robe on. That robe was on him for a little while. The blood soaks into it. It begins to clot. And they, of course, took it off with great gentleness. <laughs> no, when they took it off, they ripped it off. And they said to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Do you think they are saying this honoring him? Have you had dishonoring things said at you at work? Probably have. But have you had dishonoring things said at you at work after you've been scourged and had a crown of thorns put on your head? So this is probably the more hostile work environment than you have been in. So we can learn some things from, from Jesus and how he operated in this work environment. It is a work environment. Is Jesus not accomplishing a purpose? Has his boss given him an assignment? Is he in the right place for the assignment, then this is a work environment. Is Jesus going to be paid a wage when he finishes? <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> We're glad for that too, huh? <laughs> so verse 4, Pilate then went out again and, and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Now, don't just read over this. Read over this in your work environment. Your boss has discouraged you, allowed a crown of thorns to be put on, and derogatory remarks made of you, and then he comes out in front of all the employees and said, I find absolutely no fault with this person. <laughs> then why did I go through all that? I find no fault in him. Of course, this was done because they always had to make the judgment of the sacrificial lamb. And this was going on right across town. They're making judgments on the sacrificial lambs, whether they were blemish-free. And so Jesus was brought before men, and they said he is blemish-free. There is no fault in him. Now, Jesus is not saying much here. We all know through the crucifixion that says he was silent as a lamb. He didn't say a whole lot. Said a few things, not a whole lot. How many of you think that Jesus could say something and it would be really good? 
I mean, when the Pharisees have come and they've attacked him before with words, hasn't Jesus had some really good words for them? Put them in their place. Can't you believe that Jesus right here, right now, could have a great word to speak to them? He sure would. He'd have some great words to say, but he didn't. How many of you know that Jesus could do something and it too would be really good? I mean, he's in the garden and they come and Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. And they all fall back. All these Roman soldiers just go all the way on over. And Jesus is standing there. Don't you know he could have done something? Didn't Jesus say, look, I can call 10,000 angels and they'd come on down here. He could have done something and it would have been really good to read about. How many of you would like to have read that episode? Alternate ending. (laughs) Jesus calls down all the angels and they take them out. And we're going, yeah. (laughs) We'd be be having fun with that one. Mm. He could put the accusers in their place. He could knock them all down. He could call for these angels. He could say something profound that would bring great light into the situation. But he says nothing. Verse 5, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Now, that doesn't even make any sense. You take him and kill him, because I don't find anything wrong with him. He seems perfectly innocent to me. Could you imagine if that happened in a court of law? And they come before the judge and the judge says, well, I find this person completely innocent, so go ahead and kill him. (laughs) Does not make any sense. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, I've written down on a, on a, I got a little place in my phone that I write some of these things down on, and we'll spend some time in this, maybe one of the years to come. But I like to, I like to write down things like uh, future Good Friday topics. And so I've got a list of them, of just stuff, you know, I just write down. The one with, uh, we did this past Friday, I wrote it down two years ago. And uh, we finally got to it on, on this one. It just, uh, you know, it just sits there for me. I just write it down. I don't mess with it. Because if I mess with it, they're going to get, I'm going to have to preach it somewhere. <laughs> so I don't even mess with it. I just let it sit there. I got one sitting down in here. And uh, we'll go after it some other time. But I'll just show you just a little bit. These are things I have. I, I just write them down on my phone. And then I just go get them later. But did you see what he said right here? We have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die. Why? Because he made himself the son of God. Now, I want you to see the the contradiction here. You've got a group of people who have been prophesied that Messiah will come. He will be the son of God. And he will be born of men. So much so that the people expected it then and the young maidens were wondering, would I be the one to be the virgin who gives birth to the Messiah? They wondered this who it would be because they knew that this is the time frame that he was to come because of Daniel's vision. So they have this down. They have a law. Anybody know in the scripture where that law is? 
Is there any place in Scripture where this law is mentioned? So where does this law come from? They made it. They wrote the law down. Can you imagine being in a position to look for the coming of the kingdom who would be headed by Messiah who is the Son of God and make a law that no one can call themselves the Son of God? Can you see the problem? You are believing for something that you have outlawed. Is that stupid? Yeah, actually kind of stupid there. Yeah, well, we're not going to get into that today. That's why I write these things down, because I'll forget them down, down the road. And so I just write them down and say, yeah, one of these days I'll, I'll get to that. I wrote in your outline here, how many times do people want you to operate by their own rules? They expect Pilate to operate by their rules. Pilate didn't make this law. Rome did not make this law. The Word of God did not make this law. Pharisees did. But they want Pilate to exercise his authority to enforce their law. Have you ever had people who have made up laws that you don't agree with? That you don't like? That actually hurt you? And try to impose their laws on you? This is what they're doing, the pilot. But you see, here's that funny part. The Pharisees are of the land of Judah, and so they have the authority, at most, the authority of Judah. They don't have the authority of God because their law is not on the level of God. At most, they have the authority of their country. How does Judah stack up to the Roman Empire? On a scale of strength. Is it close? Not really. Now, I mean, if God fights for them, it's, it's more than close. <laughs> but God's not going to fight for them to defend their law. They have their law here. Pilate has the law of Rome behind him. And Pilate gives in to them. Why? Why does Pilate give in to this small country? This country is tiny. This country was tiny when it was Israel. When it was Israel, it was the size of New Jersey. Now it's just Judah. Samaria is part of, of Israel, and they're up in the north, and they are not part of Judah. In fact, they kind of look down on each other. They don't, they don't like that. You just have Judah. Why would Pilate give in to them? Because Pilate is trying to bring peace through appeasement. We're trying to make everybody happy. Rome wants me to have peace in the land. I'll try and appease them. Because there's no real weight behind them. They have no army to enforce this with. They have no strength on their part. They can't threaten Pilate. We've all had some bosses that have set rules apart from the company. We've had husbands who have set rules and things, expectations for their wives and wives. The same for their husbands. How many of y'all know each child has their own set of rules that they try and impose upon the parents? <laughs> Among the children, one says, leave all my boys alone, but I get to play with yours. 
Don't touch my food, but I can drink out of your glass. And when I need you, you better be there. Have the neighbors. One, one neighbor has a rule, leave me alone. How many have neighbors that have a rule, leave me alone? Yeah, we had that. And then you got other neighbors that if you don't talk to them in a week, they're wondering why you're mad at them. <laughs> They'll call you up. Are you mad at me? No, 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 not. Why do you think I'm mad? Well, I haven't heard from you all week. And that one time I saw you out in the yard, you didn't even, you didn't even glance over my way. So you got different rules with different neighbors and they try and impose those rules on you, don't they? Then this neighbor who wants all the contact, are they trying to impose that rule on you? And this one who wants no contact, they're trying to impose that rule on you. And you're trying to keep everybody happy. So you're trying to leave this one alone. You know, if you got the grandkids over and you're walking around the box, stay off that lawn. Don't look in the windows. Look down. And then you got the other neighbor over here. All right, well, we better not go by there because if we go by there, they're going to want to talk. <laughs> so we need to, we need to go around this way. And you're trying to, to move within all these rules that are being imposed on you. Isn't it kind of funny that the person next to you who has all these rules that are trying to impose on you don't move themselves? They don't try to adjust themselves. They expect you just everybody. Sometimes as Christians we feel like we're obligated to, but are we? Now if you play by the rules, the rules seem to get changed. And no credit is paid for the rules you tried to keep. Now when bosses, husbands, wives, children, neighbors, whatever, co-workers, when they set these kind of rules, they're flowing in the flesh. You're going along with it, not helping them get spiritual. Rules are selfish and one-sided. They will change according to mood or need. That neighbor who says, leave me alone, when they have an emergency, guess what? I suddenly want to be bothered. They're based on feelings, not principles, and will drive you weary trying to meet them. Verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more the more afraid. Why would Pilate be afraid of a bunch of stuffy old religious people? Why is he afraid? Because he feels like he has to keep the peace. In order to keep the peace, I've got to keep people happy. And I don't seem to be successful here keeping people happy. You will not keep peace by keeping people happy. It's a lie. How many of y'all know? You've been in the Walmarts. You saw the parents at the checkout line. The child is not happy. And no one is at peace. And they try to make the child happy. They give the child candy. And how does that work out for peace? It does not bring peace. Making people happy will not bring peace. Verse Eight. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium, praetorium and said to Jesus, Why are you, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? 
Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? If I'm Jesus, I, think, I can think of a couple of lines right here. <laughs> Is there a death penalty for not speaking to Pilate? <laughs> I wasn't aware that that rule existed. Can you show that one to me? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, let me know if you have read this verse in the past in this way. Have you ever read this verse in such a way that God has given Pilate rule in this jurisdiction, in this matter, and that's why he has power? If you have ever been taught that, ever thought that, I'm going to challenge that with you today because I do not believe that to be true at all. God did not give Pilate an ounce of power in this matter. And I can prove it to you from the Bible. The reason that he says this, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. We interpret that to mean that how this power came to Pilate was from God the Father to Pilate. But I want to bring you to some things that our Savior has said. But in doing so, I want you to set the stage here for it. People want you to think that they have power over you. There are people in your life who want you to think they have power over you. And thereby, you get to live by their rules and their expectations. So is this power over this matter given by God to Pilate has God given some power over you? If God gave Pilate power over Jesus in this matter, then has your God given power over your life to others? If God gave Pilate jurisdiction over his son in this matter, then what do you think is going to stop him from giving someone else jurisdiction over your life for some matter? But if God did not give Pilate jurisdiction over this matter, then our God did not give anyone else power over you. You see why that might be important? Many Christians think that God gave him power. Now, let's take a look at the evidence. First off, the evidence says that Jesus could call upon angels to come. If Jesus could call upon angels to come into this matter and the angels would respond and come, does that tell you that God has given Pilate jurisdiction over this matter? How can God give him power over his son and then send angels? Isn't that a contradiction? If Jesus could speak a word and set the Roman soldiers back, how is God giving them power in this situation? If Jesus, when they tried to throw him over the cliff, just passed through the midst of them, how is God giving them power in this jurisdiction? Now, I'm just going to read this scripture to you. He himself 
Jesus taught this. John 10, 18. You can write it down if you want. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. I don't think I put that in your outline. I wanted you to, to just kind of hear it. No one takes it from me. No one. He says, no one takes it from me. Does that include Pilate? Is Pilate a one? He is a one. If he says that no, he doesn't say no one but Pilate. He says no one. No one takes it from me. If no one takes it from him, then Pilate cannot take it from him. Which means Pilate does not have jurisdiction in this matter. Doesn't that make it kind of hard to understand what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying something. Look at the time. We'll have to come back next week. And... No, no. <laughs> no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of what? I lay it down of myself. So whose power is in his hands? Is Je- whose life? Who has the power of Jesus' life? Jesus did. Then why does Jesus say it's given from above? Do we have a contradiction here? Of course we don't. I wouldn't have brought it up. (laughs) I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Can you see it? The Father gave him the power to lay it down. The Father gave him the authority to lay it down. The Father gave him the power to lay it down and to take it up. So the authority came from the Father, but it empowered Jesus. And Jesus empowered Pilate to take his life. God didn't do it. God empowered Jesus to lay his life down. Pilate doesn't know this. But he's looking at the guy who's running the room. And the man who's running the room has decided, Pilate, you can take my life. I've decided it. Because my father asked me to come and to do this. But he gave me the authority of my life. And so to accomplish the purpose that I have, I have not allowed anyone else to take my life. But here this day, I am going to allow you because my father asked me. So the power was given from above. You see how that was misunderstood? And by it, people have thought that God has given this one power over me for a time. See how the devil twists things in Scripture? Because if he can get you to think that something from him is of God, you won't fight it. Now, the reason you see no fight in Jesus for this thing is because he's laid his life down. I don't need to fight for this. I'm laying my life down. Why am I going to fight for what I lay down? That's why I'm not saying anything. That's why I'm quiet. I'm laying my life down. Take it. Here it is. Here's my life. Now, I'm going to pick it up again in three days. (laughs) I'm just not telling them that part. (laughs) Just leaving that part of it out because you don't need to know. 
I've already told enough people, they don't have a hard time believing me. So how much power are you willing to yield when you're in an argument with your spouse, your boss, your kids, your neighbor, your coworker? How much power are you willing to yield? You are not under a boss's power. You have to understand, you yield it. Jesus was the most powerful force on the face of the earth. And he yielded many things to many people. He could have fought. He didn't. He yielded. We're gonna, if we're going to accomplish being the peacemaker that Jesus was, we've got to do things the way that Jesus does them. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat, him, sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. So he's getting a little afraid here. They're going to go to his boss. They're going to tell him, you've been doing bad things. And you ought to be fired. Of course, Rome doesn't fire you. They kill you. That's how they take care of any employee problems. After we kill you, you can see HR and file your complaint. And no one ever did. See, when you try and make a stand on the principle at work, when you try and make a stand on the principle at your neighborhood, many will pressure you to move off it. Jesus is feeling pressure here to move off his position, but he's not. I'm not going to defend my life. I laid it down. Because I laid it down, I don't need to say anything. I could, he could say some things, he could defend himself. He could call down angels. All that is in his power to do. Which is why he said, I can call down 10,000 legions of angels. They come right now. Because it's in his power. When, when God the Father commissioned Jesus, here's the power. I'm putting your life in your hands. This is what I want you to accomplish. But it's all in your hands. You do it. So he came. The Father has given me my life. I lay it down. I take it up. It's up to me. Verse 14. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now look at verse 20. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. I put this in your outline right there. Even back then, 
people are fact-checking public <laughs> posts. <laughs> I saw this at all. Wow, that's something else. <laughs> we got a public post put on a post. And people there are fact-checking it. That's not exactly what's going on. But notice that Pilate says this. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, you got some blanks here. I want to make sure you get these. Declarations without enforcement are meaningless. But they make me feel like I'm doing something. Declarations without enforcement are meaningless. But they make me feel good and they make me feel like I'm doing something. Remember when we had those causes? You know, somebody comes up with something. You had the, the girls that were over in the, uh, the African nation, uh, country that was over there. And they, uh, what was that hashtag they were sending around? Was it Save Our Girls or something along those lines? Something like that. That's a declaration without enforcement. What did it do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The, the, the people that are holding the girls, are they going to let them go? Oh, they have a hashtag. Oh. <laughs> no. What would make them release the girls? What would make people that are in a cause, what makes them stop doing what they're doing or start doing what they should be doing? Is it because of a hashtag? Is it because of a declaration? No. It's because someone stronger came over and made them do what they didn't want. That's what makes it, makes it happen. Declarations without enforcement are meaningless, but they make me feel like I'm doing something. You can declare all kinds of things for your life. You don't enforce it. You're not going to do yourself any good. Well, how do I do that? If you declare over your body, I am healthy, I am whole, I am healed. And then when the Spirit of God says, don't eat this. Bless God, I'm a saved child of God. I'm not under the curse. I can eat what it is that I want. No, you can't. Not if the Spirit of God comes up on the inside of you and says, stop eating that. We were listening to that video teaching. I forget who I called. I called Angel. I don't know if I told you this or not. I might have told you. But I was listening to uh, Brother Creflo Dollar. He was, he was teaching on something. He was talking about uh, when he was going through his cancer uh, treatments that he had to cut out collard greens. Now, I don't like collard greens. I don't care how you make them. I don't care if they're the best ones in the world. I will hate them. They go against the principle for me. I have principles in my foods that I do. One of my big principles, you all know what I've said enough times, one of my huge principles is no cooked cabbage. If you cook the cabbage, I don't eat it. I don't care what form the cabbage is in. If you cook it, I don't. If you cook spinach, I don't eat it. If it's raw, I love it. If the cabbage is raw, I eat it. If you cook it, I'm out of here. My wife cooks some cabbage. I want to leave the house. I want to go. I go out into the garage. I go out into the shop. I close the door. If it gets too strong in there, I open up the garage door. I don't care if it's wintertime. Get that air out. I hate cooked cabbage. Don't tell me why I have a... No, you do not. You do not have a recipe that will heal me of this. I don't like it. But anyway, he was talking about... Uh, getting rid of collard greens. Now, I, my understanding of collard greens, this is, this is a healthy, healthy alternative. So I was asking Angel, Angel, why, 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 do you have to get, why do you have to get rid of collard greens? That's supposed to be a good thing. It's, it's not the collard greens. It's the stuff we cook with them. <laughs> and she, 
She, she was telling me about, you know, the African-American community. We, we, we don't cook just collard green. We put all this other stuff in it. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. I had no idea because I don't eat collard greens. My wife, different matter. She eats them. She loves them. If you want to cook some collard greens, they will go to her. I will not touch them. She will eat every single one of them. And she will enjoy them. Not me. So I had to get some, some revelation on that. But the Spirit of God came up on the inside of him and told him, don't eat these things. Don't eat them. And that wasn't it. There was other things too. He had, to, he had to stop eating. If the Spirit of God tells you to stop eating something, you stop eating it. Don't you just start taking authority over those things. You've got no authority when your authority says stop eating it. When he says start doing something, you start doing it. When he says stop doing something, you stop doing it. Why? Because he said so. Because you're under his authority. And when you do that, then you have authority in other areas. But if you don't operate under that authority, it's not going to do any good. You can make a declaration, I am healthy, but then when the Spirit of God comes up and says, stop doing this, do this, and you don't do it, your declaration is without enforcement. You see, you made a declaration, God's telling you how to enforce it. And you're refusing. Declarations without enforcement are meaningless. They will not do you any good. You have all kinds of Christians. I sometimes hear them. I can't say I can do this all the time. Please don't think I can do this all the time. But sometimes I hear people make a declaration. I can sell That's hollow. There is nothing behind that. I don't have any history with them all. I don't know anything about them. I can just tell when they're talking, there's, that's hollow. There's nothing there. It's, it's, it's an empty thing. Just like sometimes, you know, you, ha- you see somebody who's on the street and they'd want to try and talk tough. And you hear them and you're thinking, you got nothing behind that. You got nothing behind it. And you're thinking, I got something behind me. I, I'm not talking about me. I don't have much behind me. But there are people out there who have stuff behind them. <laughs> You'd be afraid of. That's not me. You saw me in the, in the street making some declarations. You're not afraid. <laughs> but declarations without enforcement, they are meaningless. But they make you feel like you're doing something. And so you got a lot of Christians out there. you got Christians out there trying to make declarations for you. Well, I've just been declaring for you. So what? You got nothing behind it. You can make all the declarations you want. You got nothing behind it. You got to have some enforcement there. You got to have some stuff. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? See, they made a declaration, but they had no power to enforce it. Nothing. But Paul, on the other hand, when he came out and he made a declaration, guess what happened? Demon spirits moved. Jesus came in on the scene. He makes a declaration. Demon spirits, they move. Disease moves. Because there's enforcement behind it. You can't just make declarations in your spiritual life and make changes. You've got to have the, the enforcement. That comes from the Word. That comes from the Spirit. That comes from Him showing you what you need to do. Now, Pilate knows the right thing to do and he wants to do the right thing. But he feels like peace will be obtained only if he goes along with the crowd. He knows what the right thing to do is. He knows it. The right thing to do here, let Jesus go. That is the right thing to do. He hasn't done anything. These guys are just envious of him. There is no legal grounds here at all, especially to kill him. He knows what the right thing to do. He wants to do the right thing. But he feels like peace will be attained only if he goes along with the crowd. Only if I appease. 
comes from the devil. That whole idea of appeasement. The rulers have made him feel threatened in his job security. They're going to go to his boss. They're going to tell him the story. They're going to make him look bad. Pilate's wife has had a dream and gave him the warning over in Matthew 27, 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that, what? Just man. What part of this case has she heard? She's not in the room. She's sent to him. What part of this case has she heard? She's not heard a bit of it. But what does she declare about him? He is a just man. Somehow she knew either from watching Jesus or from whatever she had in this dream. Have nothing to do with that just man for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Where do you think that dream came from? Did that dream come from the pit of hell? No? No, because the pit of hell wants Pilate to condemn him. Pilate is being warned through a supernatural dream given to his wife. Don't do this. Does that sound like God's behind it? Does that sound like God has empowered Pilate? She sent it to him, and he's thinking, man, I know, I know. I agree with you. This shouldn't be going on. I'm not sure what I can do about it. What do you mean? You're over the land. They do what you say. You've got Roman soldiers behind you. You've got the whole Roman army that's there behind you. And you're afraid of a couple of Pharisees? They're making declarations, but they can't back it up. Then many of the Jews read this title, as we said. Ah, get, that, get that out of here. We don't want that on there. As we said, even back then, they're checking. Fact checkers. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and as for my clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. That is a very expensive piece of clothing that they had. They didn't want to rip it. It would lose its value. I don't know how you can make comparison to it. But um, I know in Philadelphia, there used to be a real high-end store in there called... Um, um, oh, what's that brother's store? It's a department store. Brother Keith, what is that? Boyd's. Boyd's was a real high-end. In fact, that's, I was told by somebody who... I've never been in Boyd's. Uh, I've driven past it, if that counts. <laughs> right by the front. I drove right by the front. Didn't stop. <laughs> didn't stop, didn't go inside. Strove right by the front. Saw it. Oh, yeah, that's, I've heard that. <laughs> but I'm told that if you walk in there, you're greeted by a man in a very nice suit or a tux. I forget yeah. which one. Yeah. And they will find out from you what you are looking for and what your dollar amount is. And so depending upon what your dollar amount is, uh, then they send you to the appropriate floor. And their dollar amount, some... <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, man. Yeah, they got some, they got some high dollars. The higher dollar you're paying, you get treated really nice. I'm told if you get to whatever their top dollar is, I don't know what their top dollar is. I didn't retain that in my mind. I didn't need to. Did not need to retain it in my mind. You know, I'm a grandfather. They keep kids spit on my suits and stuff like that, so I have to be careful. 
Like that. We go into the restaurant, the suit coat comes off. Put the shirt in the wash. Can't put the suit coat in the wash. You gotta send that out to the dry cleaners. That's ten bucks down there, down the drink. Right there. So I make sure I take my suit coat, put it in the car, and then Lumi doesn't get her stuff all over me. If it goes in with me, I just, if I, I walked in the other night with one, oh, alright, we're washing this one. That's before it didn't even started. I just know it. Cause she's gonna come over and you know, she's gonna hug me and all that. And I'm gonna let her do it. You're gonna just let her do it. It's no big deal. Things wash out. But, um, you know, I don't need the four, five, six thousand dollar suits and stuff like that, whatever it is they have on that top level. But I'm told that if you go there, you are really treated well. <laughs> really treated well. But this is, this is kind of like that kind of a garment. Now, don't, don't buy into the thing that Jesus was poor. Jesus was not poor. He was not a poor man. He was, how many of you, right now, raise your hand, how many of you have people who are, uh, uh, take care of your money for you? I mean, they are right next to you all the time. They, you just look, you look right next to them. Uh, how much money do I have? <laughs> My granddaughter's raising her hand. She, she got, she, I guess you do. <laughs> I guess you have people that take care of your money right next to you. That's all, that's all right. Most of us don't have that, though, but Jesus had Judas. And he, Jesus had enough money that he needed somebody to just look after it. He needed the, the in-house treasurer to, to watch out. Now, if you're wondering how Jesus got all that money, well, just remember what happened two years after he was born. You had all those wise men show up, and they brought a lot of gifts, gifts worthy of a king. And they, so he started off pretty well off. They funded his ministry way back then. I don't know how they stored the money, what they did with it, but that money was used to finance Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. It had so much of it that Judas could steal from it, and no one knew it. Do you have enough money right now that somebody could steal from it and you not know it? Come on. Didn't you do this this morning? I had $10. I know $10. You know, losing $10, I can impact this. Jesus, <laughs> and then, then someone, no, you know, they got some people upset. I, I, I know that. But um, you tell me where all that money went and why they brought it and why God had them bring it. And they saved up for that, that gift for a, long, a lot of years. Well, they divided his garments. It was a very nice garment. Jesus didn't spend a whole lot of money on himself. I'm not trying to tell you he had Cadillacs and all that sort of stuff. But he needed, he needed a good garment and he looked good. As garments go, he had a nice one. So they weren't going to tear that up. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' stuff is not theirs, but they seized upon it because of the climate? Ever had people decide to seize up on your stuff? You got, you got things at work and they decide they're just going to feast on it? They've taken some of your leads they've taken some of your sales they've taken some of your bonus money they've taken some of your credit they've seized upon your stuff because of the climate that is there this is what these guys are doing and jesus is looking down at them and saying well enjoy it now in three days i'm going to get something even better let's finish this up so three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you just rose from the dead and you had all these people that were doing things against you, 
up there with Pilate. You had people beating you. You had people stealing your clothes and all your stuff. You had people saying all kinds of nasty things about you. Mocking you. Putting the crown of thorns on. If somebody put a crown of thorns on your head, how many of you are looking at them and saying, I'm going to remember you. I will remember you. Got to think of that movie, Taken. I have a special set of skills. I will find you. <laughs> right? How many of you are thinking that? You're thinking those lines. But you're seeing that guy put the thorns on. I'm going to remember you. The guy who has a scourge in his, I'm going to remember you. How many of you, when you rise up from the dead three days later, all right, we have some things to do for God, but a couple of scores I got to sell here first. And you go out to Pilate's house, you knock on the door. Hi. <laughs> Could you just, I mean, even if you don't lift the finger against Pilate, if you just showed up at his door and just said, hi. Better yet, not even knocking, just showing up in his bedroom. He's in bed there with his wife. Show up in the bedroom. Hello. <laughs> And the wife's there. You know what the wife is doing? I don't know. <laughs> if you're Jesus, how many of you are settling some scores? I mean, just if you show up, you don't have to kill anybody. Just show up with the glowing stuff. How you doing? That would have an effect upon those people, wouldn't it? I think they get saved right there. Yep, saved. I'll, I'll die for you now. <laughs> Just don't kill me. But I'll die for you. <laughs> uh, but apparently Jesus doesn't do that. He does not do that. Jesus goes to those who helped the kingdom, not to those who did it harm. How much of your thoughts can be caught up with what we will do when the power changes. Think about this over work. You're thinking the wrong people are in power and they're doing wrong stuff to you and others. How many of you have spent time thinking about what's going to happen when the power changes? <laughs> what would I do if I was in charge? Man, I'd fire every single one of them guys. But not before we make them suffer a little. Do some things and make them suffer some. I'll make it so they want to quit. <laughs> we would we would be thinking about this. What we do when the power changes? See, the power has changed, but Jesus, he's not off doing those things. Is Jesus walk? Is he appeasing people? He is not appeasing people. Pilate walked in such a way to appease people. Did he bring peace? He did not. Did Jesus bring peace? Jesus came in power. He came in power and sat down in the chair and let them take his life. But he came in power. He rose up in power. And he went out and he made peace in power situation. He had the power. And he made peace. 
Pilate had the power and didn't use it. He was afraid to use it. Just because you have the power doesn't mean that you use it. And if people can make you afraid to use it, like they did with Pilate, Pilate is one who tries to be a peacemaker, but he does it through his flesh. Sometimes it's very easy to stop, uh, to spot, because it is full of selfishness. And some, when people do things in the flesh, it is full of selfishness. Other times, though, it's disguised as something more. There are people who try and put off their flesh as being spiritual. Now, once you know the signs, you laugh at them. Yeah, you see those people? They're over there and they're, they're, uh, they're trying to do something to the flesh. Shundai. Tie my bow tie. You know, they start speaking in tongues. Being all spiritual. Oh, hold on. But it's the flesh. You can't disguise spiritual stuff as flesh. You can't do it. Once you're tuned into it, you can smell it. That's that flesh. But sometimes people use their flesh disguised as something spiritual to intimidate the people that are around them and to get them to do what they want get them to appease. There's churches all around the country. You got people in the audience and they get up and they start doing some kind of a fruity thing. And though the Word of God would say some things, that's now how it's done. Here they are and they're being fruity. And well, people see them as spiritual if I rebuke them. Well, they're not going to quite understand that. And so the, pa the pastor, the people that are there, they don't do anything with it. And they just let it go. Have you ever been in a church that's run by flesh? I've been in some. Whew. Oh, man. We still talk about that one we went to over in Jersey. Oh, man. I'm not going to tell you the name of the church because you might know it. <laughs> it had a good name for a church, but we got in there. Oh, man, it was so loud. I was sitting next to my, standing, next, standing next to my wife. And I could not hear what she was saying, and she could not hear what I was saying. Wow. And there were people doing dances that if I ever frequented one of those places, I probably would have recognized the dance from that. Now, that's as close as I ever came. I never came to I never went to one of those. Never. Never in my life. Never have stepped foot in. Never wanted to step into foot one of those places. Don't like it. When they put them on the TV shows, I look the other way. I don't want, I don't want to see. I don't want to see what's going on there. I know they're not going to put anything on the TV, but still, I don't want to see it. I don't need to be in those places. But this is going on in church. And uh, we went there to hear a special speaker, and there was so much flesh activity going on for the two or three hours of the service, he never got to do much. And then we had gone with our worship leader at the time, and he had a nice leather coat up until then. He hung it up in the back, went back to get it, and somebody stole it. <laughs> Yeah, it was a flesh-controlled church. And they pass it off as something spiritual. People will do that. 
don't be intimidated by people who are trying to do something spiritual and get you to do something or pass it off as something spiritual and trying to get you to do something fleshly. If the Word of God hasn't told you to do it, don't do it. The Spirit of God has not told you to do it, not told you to walk in that way. Don't do it. Listen to the Spirit of God. Follow after that Spirit. He's going to lead you. He's going to direct you. Look at His Word. Does His Word talk about those things? Does His Word demonstrate those things? We've got a lot of churches today who don't do things that are in the Word, but will do things that are not. We didn't, uh, I don't think we read the Scripture, but you know there's a place in the, in the Scripture that the um, Pharisees didn't want to join Pilate in the praetorium? Because they didn't want to make themselves unclean because of the feast. But plotting murder, killing someone, that's okay. You can do that and be clean. But don't go in that room. The things that people try and pass off as spiritual. Sometimes what people do in the flesh is disguised as something more, but don't, you don't have to buy into it. How can we tell when we are peacemaking in the flesh or in the spirit? I sat down. I was going to get into this this time. I sat down and I made a list. And I'll share it with you next week. I'm not trying to cliffhang you on that. We just won't have time to get into it. But um, I'll share it with you next week. And next week we're going to get into something. Have you ever had Christian people come to you and make you feel bad for something that you did. When you felt that what you did was by the unction of the Spirit of God, and Christian people came to you and made you feel bad, how do you respond? How do you respond to them? If you, get back, if you get back here next week, I'm not just going to tell you a principle. I'm going to show you where it was done and what they did. It's probably going to be a little bit different than you think. They did not hit them over the head with a club. They didn't do it. They did not exert that kind of force. But they did do something. If we can learn the difference between flesh peacemaking and spirit peacemaking, you will find a lot more peace in your life. Because if you make peace according to the flesh, it won't last. If you make peace according to the Spirit, it's harder. It cuts sometimes a little deeper. But it gets to where you need to be. Got to learn the difference. Pilate probably feels like he did his best to make a difference here in this situation. But before God, how do you think he will fare? A lot of Christians think, I made the best of this situation. Before God, how do you think you would do? Now, if you want to know some history on this, Pilate died at age, uh, I'm sorry, Pilate died in 39 AD. If you know how to do the math, Jesus was crucified somewhere in the area of uh, 30, 31 AD. Because the calendars are off, Jesus was not quite born in the year zero. But Pilate died in 39 AD. That's about nine years after this stuff going on. There's a little bit of discrepancy in history as to what happened. He either died by order of Caesar, uh, Caligula, 
or by his own decision to commit suicide. He may have been ordered to by the Caesar or face death. Or he may have done it on his own. It is also rumored that he became a Christian and that this had something to do with his death. I don't know exactly which one. I tried to read all the history I could on this one. Uh, you know, I'm only going to spend like <laughs> two minutes on it <laughs> just to try to figure out what, what this is. But um, it didn't go well for Pilate after this. Caesar was mad with him. He was recalled, had to come back, and um, it did not go well. Appeasers, it may work for a little while, but it's not going to work in the long, ter long term. Appeasement will only bring peace to a level our flesh can endure. Once we blow up, peace is lost. Now, your flesh can endure some stuff. How many of y'all know you've been in some situations, your boss puts stuff on you, and as long as you don't blow up, things are okay. But how many of y'all know there's a limit? Don't raise your hand. How many people have ever hit that limit at work? They put too much on. That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> we hit the limit. And peace is no longer there because you hit a limit where your flesh couldn't take it anymore. But all that you had was a flesh-established peace. But if you can get into a spirit-established peace, it's different. We want to show you the keys to that as we go on here. That's why we're spending a little bit more time on the, on the peacemaker aspect. We had that happen last year. Remember when we got into the gifts and we, I meant to get into one thing on the prophet and we ended up being in there six weeks. <laughs> Y'all kept asking questions. Oh, that's a good question. Let me go get an answer for that. <laughs> I enjoy that to, to no end. Now, again, the question is not how does peace come in these situations. The question is, can a Christian bring about peace this way through strength and still hold to godly virtues? Like we told you, we're going to look at a story next week to help us to learn some of these things and to understand. Because we, are, we should be more peacemakers than we are. There ought to be more peacemakers in the body of Christ than there are strife makers. But in the body of Christ, there's a whole lot of strife makers, not a whole lot of peacemakers. What that tells you is, in the body of Christ, there are more people who know how to walk in the flesh than know how to walk in the Spirit. But most Christians think they walk in the Spirit. Because we think what is flesh is Spirit. We're going to give you a list here next week. If, you're, if you come on back for us, we're going to give you a list to help you. It's not hard to determine what is flesh and what is spirit. And I'm talking about in you. It is not hard to know when your flesh is leading you and when your spirit is leading you. Sometimes we super spirit this thing so much, well, I just can't tell. Is it God telling me? Is it me telling me? We'll give you some things that will really help you on this, but we've got to spend some more time on it, so we're going to be here with this next week. I hope this uh, helped you out with the uh, understanding Pilate a little bit better and some of the things that are going on with that and understanding Jesus. And just know this, God has not given anyone in your life authority over you in any situation. You give it to them. Or you take it back. It's up to you. But as long as the devil has you convinced that other people can exert their will upon you because for some strange reason God wants it, God wills it, God desires to do, accomplish something, he can do anything he wants to you. But if you can learn this lesson, you'll be like Jesus and sit in the chair. I'm here because I choose to be here. You are going to kill me because I have chosen this day to die. 
so get on with it. And that's why there was no fight in Jesus. But when he comes back, they will not see that same Jesus. They're not going to see somebody who's just going to lay down their life. They're going to see somebody who's going to take up a cause and says, your time is up. And I remember. <laughs> I'm back. That's it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that as we look at Jesus, we see somebody who through strength brought peace between man and God. He covered that gap that was there between us and God. And he brought peace into that situation. Father, you can bring peace into our situations. In order to accomplish it, people don't have to like us. But they can still be peaceful. Saw that so much with Abraham. People didn't necessarily like Abraham. But they were not going to go against them. They knew better. We're not here on this earth to get everybody to like us, to appease everyone. That's what the enemy wants us to think. Because he knows in doing so, we will be powerless here on this earth. But you've called us to a place of strength to use the authority and power of the name of Jesus to knock, to knock Satan's kingdom on its heels to establish the kingdom of God. And just as Jesus did this in strength in his years, just as the apostles did it in strength when they went out afterwards, we do the same. You have called us to a place of strength, but not to exercise dominance over people, but to bring peace. And I thank you that we can do just that. In our situations that we're looking at where there has just not been the peace that we want. We've appeased. We've tried to go along. We've tried to say the right things. But it seems like we're the only one who's making those adjustments. And peace is not coming. There is a way that we can go. Not be arrogant. Not be stirring up strife but a way to go to bring your peace, to bring your wisdom, and to show and demonstrate the ways of God. And I thank you that you give it to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we're so glad you all got to join us here this, this morning. Some of you came on out for the breakfast. I know you all have places to go, things to do, probably uh, today, and um, may not be hanging around quite as long as we Sometimes do, but, it, <laughs> but we will. Uh, we sure enjoy seeing you all here. Have a great rest of your your day. Wednesday night we are picking up on our uh, short little rabbit trail on the will of God, and uh, we'll give you more of a summary on that on on Wednesday. Y'all ask questions, and I love pursuing things you're actually interested in and have questions about. So that's what we're. We're pursuing on Wednesday. We'll get back into the, the
the book of Ephesians. This is part of what Ephesians covered, though. You saw in your bulletin, I gave you the update on Lucy, update on, on Phyllis. We're glad that good things are, are going on there. Lucy is exactly where she was intending to be this weekend. And she gets to see all the people that she was expecting to see. Boy, that's just, just wonderful for her to be able to do that. And Phyllis is walking around. We had some, Bruce and I were having some fun on the, on the text messages yesterday. And um, I won't share those with you. <laughs> but we, they, they're just such a fun, fun group to have have a little uh, jovial things that we can we can do but Phyllis is up and walking about and uh, on her own to wait from the, the walker for for a bit uh, said Bruce is right there by her by her side making sure she was doing doing good with it and um, we'll, we look forward to another good week for her so have a great rest of the week here we'll see you on Wednesday the video teaching will come out tomorrow I just put on part three how many people went on and listened to part two brother Keith I know some of you all listened to part one. I didn't know if some of you would have gone on and listened to part two, but part two would pretty much come up right underneath part one if you're listening to it. So I just gave you part three. That's the last one I'm going to give you on it in the video teaching that we're doing on Mondays. But it's a good series, and there's 11 parts to it all together. If you want to listen to, to all of them, you just keep on, on going with it. Um, but it was a, it's a wonderful uh, thing to learn. So tomorrow that will come out, part three. So if you want to listen to part two in the meantime, uh, I know last, last week was a holiday week, may not have as much time for it, but this is what we'll go here with this one. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see some of you on Wednesday.